Welcome to Media Path. I'm Fritz Coleman. And I'm Louise Palanker. Here on Media Path, we cherry pick the latest offerings from the entertainment landscape and offer them in hopes that you'll agree that it was time well spent. And we have the coolest guests. And we're going to introduce her right now. She is, honest to God, the love goddess, the Aphrodite of the accordion. She was the first woman to win the Best Female Comedian at the American Comedy Awards. And I remember that award show. And George Carlin presented her her award. That must have been astonishing. She's an amazing stand-up. She's had her own specials on HBO, Showtime, Lifetime. She's a two-time Grammy nominee. She's an author of books like (laughs) Attention, Butt Pirates and Lesbertarians. (laughs) My album, the book is... Your album, uh, well, it doesn't matter. I don't know what it is. It just made... I laughed my ass off when I heard that. And Full Frontal Tenuity. She's an... She is an an ordained minister in her own religion, Judaism. She's an actress, and she's produced her own movie that is streaming right now on Amazon called Desperation Boulevard. I love this woman, Judy Tenuta. Thank you for being here, Miss Judy. Thank you, Fritz, and thank you, Louise. Thank you so much for joining us. I I want you to describe the philosophical parameters of Judaism. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Well, basically, um, you know, okay, well, basically, I want all women to be worshipped as love goddesses. Mm -hmm. That's number one. And many women say to me, oh, goddess, how can I (laughs) worship as a love goddess? Well, uh, you know... As you know, uh, you, you've got to be sassy to your love bucket. And yeah, right. Um, yeah, so so it's just, it's just, and, and you should, I don't know, I'm just excited to be here. Yeah, let's party. Oh, yeah, we're, oh, no, don't, yeah. Don't, don't bring the accordion out early. That's going to be our huge closer. <laughs> I want to know, since you have your own religion, is it tax exempt? Because I might want to get involved in this somehow. Yeah. And by the way, I want to say that uh, you don't have to leave whatever religion you believe in to, <laughs> to believe in mine. Okay. But 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 honestly, there, there's a point to this, and that is that you strongly advocate for gays, and you've been doing that for a long time, and, and the ability to and marry gay children. people. Yes. Yeah, and women and children's issues. I mean, that's 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 the wink that you're doing to people, which is cool. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to say, ladies, to ladies and or men that are being ladies, uh, <laughs> no, if you if you want to be worshipped as a love goddess, you've got to act like a Ferrari. You know, make a lot of noise and only start when he pumps all his money into you. <laughs> 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 it's important also that you hit the accordion on yeah. every punchline. I well, you know that's going to happen because what? Of course, yeah. yeah, it's 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 critical. So you encourage conversion because it's more it's a it's it's a it's a way of life. It's sort of like what are some other comparable religions where you don't have to leave your religion to join the religion? There's no other. I don't think no. there are others. Are there? I don't believe so. No, I, I think it's in a class. I don't think the Pope would like it. Do you? I was. No. Ra- I was. Oh ra- my God! One of your funniest jokes in your whole career is: <laughs> I used to date the Pope, <laughs> but I was only using him to get to God. <laughs> that is correct. That's and such went, a great joke. And I went to the all girls. My parents were very. I love my parents. They sent me to the all girl Catholic school, Saint Obnoxious in bondage. <laughs> 
you know, uh, the nuns. I, yeah, but you know what? Here's what I loved about those nuns, you know. You don't, nobody, I don't use dangling participles, you know. I, I yeah, so, I, you know, I use proper English. Oh, my God, doesn't it make you cringe? You know this, at being on the radio and your own podcast. Oh, I can't stand it. People actually still say to me, hey, Jude, I seen you. Oh, no. Look, I, I think that you can maybe incorporate some grammar in, yeah. in Judaism that yeah. you can, if you make it a little bit more like Scientology, people have to purchase the books and work their way up to speaking properly so that they can become a god. That's oh, right. that's correct. There it is. So your book is blurry like your background. Sorry. It's Judy in space. Yes, it is Judy in full frontal tenuity. I love that book because it comes in three sections and each one is hysterical. One is Judy's Hollywood to English Dictionary. Mm-hmm. And the other is Judy's Sassy Stoner Snacks. Judy, would you like to read a selected excerpt for the class? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I should have picked this out earlier. Oh, we can cut. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one of the... And the last section three is 40 Ways to Breed a Love Slave. Is it breed... Or, or love, yeah, whatever, you know, I just, I just, I say these things like, oh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things that I say is, um, you know, you, you can't trust, please do not trust the internet. Do not go on the internet to look for love Mm-mm. because everyone lies. You know that they mm-hmm. make up their own, they make up their own bio and you know what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So especially when they say things like, oh, I love the outdoors and basking in the sun for hours. Yeah. He sells oranges on the freeway. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I love how you can read between the lines. It's an important skill. That's why, you know, they have these shows. Uh, oh, I shouldn't go off on that. But, you know, they I don't do. know what it is the, the, the something about they're looking for love. And then and all of these guys say they're billionaires. And then. Yeah. The second time they talk to them, ladies, get suspicious when the guy goes, oh, I'm so embarrassed, but could you wire me 30 grand? <laughs> right. Well, they just- Or they, they go on to become president of the Wi-Fi United States. Their Wi-Fi is spotty, and they just need a little to hold them over. Yeah, it's the Tinder oh, swindler. The Tinder sw- swindler, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. This guy. Okay. Yeah. Caution. All right. So I want to know if your parents thought you were funny. Oh, you know what? My- what? Just I don't, you know, they're in heaven, but I love my mother and father. They were they were strict, but mm-hmm. they were also once I said, OK, I'm going on stage and they came and saw me. And one time in Chicago, I'm from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, th- there was this place like a bathhouse, so to speak. And, and it was on Halloween. And they said, well, we're coming with you. I go, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like. You know, they were there and, and my mother's like, oh, that's so sweet how they just lie down in their towels. <laughs> your parents a bathhouse on Halloween? Oh, yes. I love oh it. I love goodness. your parents. Chicago. Uh, yeah, they were the best. They were the best. I love them. Mom. Yeah. So you that that's where you started stand up, right? Did you do Second City as well there? 
Well, I took the course with Del Close. I took the mm-hmm. course. I wasn't, you know, I, I just realized when I started doing these things that, you know, maybe it would be hard to go on the road with like four people. And I said, you know, I think I just have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that worked out for me because right down the street, you probably know this, Fritz, was Zanies. Yep. It, you know that. And, uh, and, and a lot of clubs in the uh, early 80s. So many places that you could go to to do it, you know, and even some of the j- the jazz and, you know, Chicago's famous for blues. They had a blues club called Ratso's. And I even said, could I could I go up and they go? Yeah, yeah. And I go, oh, my God, these these blues guys are a great audience. They were laughing. And, I, and then the yeah, I started in a jazz club. And for that and that that was why it was a very nurturing environment, because they stuff doesn't have to be perfect. They're very supportive of you if they see what your intent is. And it was a great way to learn. You didn't get killed with the hecklers or anything. But, they were, but what I found out was I said, oh, my God, there's such a great audience. They're laughing so much. And the guy goes, yeah, they're high. Uh, okay so uh, tell me how you take it tell me how you developed the love goddess character was that just something you created before you started or it sort of evolved well uh you know i came from a family of uh, a huge catholic family so i'm i'm half polish and half italian so my parents were all always taking a a hit out on each other and (laughs) and, uh, really the accordion was my mom's IUD and I popped out wearing it and I didn't really have a choice. There were not, can you believe they had nine children? Nine God bless them. Sure. But, but as a result of that, I never heard myself speak right. until I graduated high school and went to <laughs> where I, I went into theater and I go, oh my goodness, when you're on stage, people do listen to you. Huh. Yeah. And you get something to eat and it's yeah, yeah. a lot yeah. of... There's a lot of pluses. No. So you did every kid in the family play the accordion? Oh no! Okay, they smart. They didn't show any aptitude, but yeah. I, <laughs> I I did. I mean, in fact, I would say uh, when I saw the accordion, I was only seven, and you know, I'm a little girl, so I thought it was a toy. And sure. my mom, well, you got to practice every day. Well, I don't know what that means, really. And then I'm outside playing with my girlfriend. She's like, Judy Lynn, get in the house. It's time for you to play your squeeze box. (laughs) She made me go in the room that she designated half an hour. And I thank them so much. Thank you, mom and dad. What was the first song that you learned? Oh, the first, uh, an embarrassing, well, you've probably heard, if you've taken accordion in school days, which I can't even remember how to play that. School day, school day. I don't know. I could sing it, but I, I, I don't know how to play it. But um, I, I was very good at making up my own songs. I was not like, uh, uh, you know, any of these great. Uh, uh, you weren't a cover band. Oh, yeah. I, I, I could not be a cover band. I, yeah. I not cover a song. I made up my, that's how I came up with, you know, the Pope song. Oh, they're all polkas. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, so I that's a good thing because I could make up my own songs because, as you know, as the Beatles said, you have to do your own music. Also, if you have your own religion, you're going to need a hymn book. Oh, so it's handy. Thank you. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. 
So when you started performing stand-up, was it what we see you doing now? What I mean is you went out with the accordion or did you just do jokes or was it this character from the very beginning? Well, you know, when I came out, I was, yeah, I would say, I would come out and go, oh, I'm a petite flower. I started out as a petite flower. Then I realized, uh, you know, being raised Catholic, you know, the Virgin Mary had like all of these uh, titles, you know, Power of Ivory, House of God, you know, Mother. And I thought, well, you know, I have titles too. I'm a petite flower, fashion plate saint, earth mother hostess, geisha girl, healer of hermaphrodites, uh, empress of Elvis, impersonators, and, and Aphrodite of the accordion. So, because we're all, you know, we're all many things. We're all so many different textures and correct. colors and nuances, and that embodies all of all of uh, humanity and and maybe femininity. Oh, absolutely. We need to be petite flowers, and we need to be worshipped, and you can have both. Absolutely, yes. Who 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 inspired you um, oh, as comics? Uh, you know what? Can I just say? And I want to say this: just I meet some young comedians, and they say, "Oh." I say, listen, you need to study all the great going all the way back to the silent great movie stars. Like, I loved Harold Lloyd. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, Buster oh Keaton. God. Buster Keaton. I adored Buster Keaton mm-hmm. and Charlie Chaplin. Mae West. Um, come on. Yeah. yeah. She was she was one of the first women in films that had complete power over everything. First of all, she produced her own movies. She hired and fired people, including W.C. Fields, and didn't put up with crap from anybody, which was untold or unheard of in the in the motion picture business earlier. Correct. I adored her. Cool. And, uh, and then hopping into more of you know past the nineteen fifties, uh, you know, of course, I loved all the. The comedians that you love and one of them was george carlin who come mm. on yeah. he was he was the godfather of modern comedy which absolutely. is the uh being an observational comic yeah. you know and uh so it, come on we love him and i was so honored to open for him as soon as my first hbo special came out he his manager got in touch with my manager and said would well, you like to open for george Carr?" they didn't even have to say the second name and i go i'm there i'm there oh, anyone named so george cool. burns yeah right and joan rivers loved you. she reviewed oh. your book saying judy you're hysterical yes i adore i I loved that woman. She was a mentor to me. She put me on all of her shows. I even co-hosted some of her morning shows. And she, we had the best. She, she was so great. Also, extremely generous. You know, you know how important, uh, what do you call it, craft services? Oh, forget craft services. <laughs> she had a gourmet chef backstage <laughs> whipping up omelets for breakfast. I, and yeah, yeah, I know. So I said, Joan, Joan, you've got to stop this because I came to the show as Judy Tenuta, but by the time I'm finished, I'm going to be Roseanne. I, I, I love this food and crap. I love how, did she, how did Joan stay so slim? You know, she. I never saw her. We went to lunch a few times. And uh, she was she was so sweet. She would always talk about her jewelry and the and I could because I would ask her because she had you know these fabulous rings and everything. So I would notice that she didn't really eat her food while we were talking. But I so but no no she ate a little but you know not much. Yeah. 
Who who were some of the uh, Chicago had such a wealth of great comedians? Oh, who, who was part of your class? Emo and all those guys were part yes. of your class, right? Yes, absolutely. But the first person to bring me on stage was ahead of me, of course. But I, he was a sweetheart, Tom Dreesen. You oh yeah, yeah. He's been on him. this podcast. Yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. And he's from Chicago. He sure is. Yeah. Um, and he brought me up on stage at the, at the time it was called the pickle barrel in 1975 or 76, you know? And, uh, so yeah, he was, he was great. And they had a lot of little clubs like that in Chicago. That was a great time to start out because like I said, you could perfect your material. Mm -hmm. Everybody would say to me, Oh, you got to move to California, but you know, you didn't have stage time. Like, so I always tell people, like, for example, if you lived in Cincinnati at that time, you should come to Chicago because you could go on stage. Yeah, you could get a lot of stage time in before you hit L.A. so that your craft is more perfected. Plus, it's middle see. America, you know, and it's like you you understood what real people cared about. You know, a lot of blue collar people in Chicago. Oh. Oh, and yeah. you, if you could make them laugh, you were golden, right? In the rest of the country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was great. It was I was very happy about that. And when did you realize that your one of your gifts is having a conversation with the audience, in, including them? <laughs> uh, I just felt like um, I just felt like I, I needed to do that at the time, but I got chastised for it. Uh, you know, I was told, it, "Judy, don't do that." <laughs> But, you know, I, I think it's a lot of fun when you're having a live show. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And usually when you're on stage, there's people there. I mean, not always on Zoom calls, but, you know, on stage <laughs> often. They are actually on stage, yes. No, yeah. well, they're present. And, and I guess the pandemic has been really difficult for performers, especially stand-up comedians, where the whole concept of what's happening is super spreader. People oh. are screaming and laughing and with low ceilings. Yes, exactly. Well, I haven't been on a plane for two years. You mm -hmm. probably have. I. Nope, I haven't either. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, See? No. I don't, just, I don't want to wear a mask for that long. Are you back booking shows now? No, uh, I am doing, a, I'm very excited about doing, I, I love doing charity for people. Like I told you, I'm doing something for the Shriners Hospital for Children on March 5th. Uh, they're going to have a big, they're actually having a dedication to Harold Lloyd, oh, uh, the wow. Harold Lloyd Family Foundation. And he was a, a big, he was awarded something very special by the Shriners. And so I, when they asked me, of course, you know, I loved Harold Lloyd. Plus, I love that the Shriners take care of children because, you know, the hospital was mm -hmm. first instituted for children with polio. Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, that was a big deal. So I'm going to do that March 5th. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. I do uh, fundraising for an organization called the Children's Burn Foundation. And oh. a lot a lot of the surgeons they use, yeah. uh, the uh, plastic surgeons they use are um, part of the staff at the various Shriners hospitals around the United States. So they have a great re uh, relationship with them and they do just yeah. miraculous work. That's cool. Good for you. Where, where's this going to be? Uh, at the Shrine Auditorium. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. That's Is it, it named it's, after Shriners? They get their own auditorium. Oh, I never well, realized. During the day, yeah. I'm, I will get there by 1 p.m. And I think I go on stage at, I'm somewhere like 2 or 
whatever. But, you know, it's going to be, they actually want me to raffle off doctors. Yeah. Oh. How about How much? to raise people more money? I'm going to have some doctors from the Shrine Hospital. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, have the women bid on them. So why are not? There any, I'll take are, the lunch. Are there any kind of rules as to what you can do with your doctor once you obtain him? See, I, I think, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think that's up to them. They yeah. have to discuss what their parameters are. Because I would ask just for a little eye tuck, you know, just a little, something over oh, lunch. And oh, then, you think it's going to be plastic surgeons? Oh, I, don't know. I think these are doctors that are more, and you know, that take care of people who've been, like, like Fritz said, in a fire or, you know, some kind mm-hmm. of a emergency situation. I don't think they do a and lot. And they of- don't have to have the ability to pay, which is the cool thing. Their, their fundraising supports that, people that support Shriners Hospital. Oh, because wow. kids can have catastrophic illnesses and not come from families that can afford to pay for oh, it. So it's important. I- I'm wondering, Judy, if if you and I went to high school together, what group were you hanging out with? And- oh, my God. I was so unpopular. Mm-hmm. I went to a very, actually, the real name of it was Immaculate Heart of Mary in, in uh, and all these rich girls and i didn't i was not rich um and uh you know so they were a little you know <laughs> what do you but i would always kind of be doing jokes i could imitate people so i could imitate the different nuns and they yeah. liked that so you know i was kind of popular like for that reason but that's fun yes and 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 here's the other interesting thing I will never forget certain people like Mary Kathleen. No, I'm sorry. Take it back. Her name was Kathleen Keegan. Beautiful voice. She would often perform at the various, you know, auditorium. uh, Talent shows and all that stuff. Yeah, you know that. But, you know, it's a Catholic school, so we didn't have anything wild, you know. (laughs) She would sing solos. And I thought, oh, she's going to be. And you don't. I, I didn't see her after that. She just got pregnant and got married. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I, then they were all surprised. What is Judy doing? Love goddess with a squeeze ball. What's going on? She was so quiet. Have there been any reunions? Well, I, I'm sorry. I didn't go to them. Me either. Till my 50th one. Then I went to that one. What was that like? Yeah. I performed stand up at my 50th, uh, uh, a high school reunion, and it was the most terrifying experience of my oh. life. And believe me when I tell you, there was faculty there that worked <gasps> oh, at my no. high school. Honest to God, they they wheeled them in, and the the gym teacher was there, and it was awful. Did you have to climb a rope? Uh, no, okay, I didn't have okay. to do any of that. Yeah. But I, I, <laughs> but I, but it was. I, I felt like I climbed a rope naked, yeah. perform, <laughs> performing in front of these people. You are very brave. Very yeah. brave. I guess I was trying to prove something that I hadn't wasted my entire life to these people. It was so terrifying. And how did it go? It went well. It was good. Oh, that's Because so I did cute. personal jokes about people that I couldn't do at the time, you know. Oh, I'm, oh there's some vengeance there, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, who, who is your audience, Judy? Who, who Do you have a, a pocket of audience? For instance, Kathleen, uh, you know. Uh, 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 Madigan. Yeah, I meant, uh, I mean, uh uh, Kathy Griffin is firmly admits that seventy five percent of her audience is gay, and I mean, do, do, do you have a pocket that? I, I, I mean, I do have a gay audience, but I have a lot of I have a lot of women. 
uh, again, a lot of responsible women, uh, women who actually came, people who actually came to my shows were women who got their husbands to bring them or they would come with women. And then there would be a pocket of gays, you know, gay men and gay women. But mostly the audience, I would say, was, uh, you know, middle class uh, American or maybe not even all American um you know, women and with their husbands or with their friends, you know, I would but say. But you are so cute on stage, and that's a dangerous term to use with a comedian, but you are. And even when you're jacking with some man in the front couple of rows, it's so fun and they react well. There's nothing threatening about it. It's really, um, it's really endearing. It's, I think it's, it's therapeutic, too, because she's she's cracking wise at things that a lot of people are feeling but not saying out loud, especially between couples. And it's I think it's therapy. Yeah. Could be. Oh, I yes, I do think good comedy is, is therapy, because, as you know, in hospitals, when people are sick, they play comedy movies for them. Mm-hmm. You know, that. I don't know if you know that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do. So yeah. why do, why do you think that that gay audiences are so eager to worship the goddess? I think it's because I'm a kind of larger than life mm-hmm. when I'm on stage. Like, hey, pigs, come on! You know what? You know I have this. They wish they were you. <laughs> yes, I, I think so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm larger than life. But you know what? Do you notice this, Fritz? You know Jay Leno well. Uh, Jay Leno, when he talks to you one on one, yeah, everybody speaks differently when we're just talking to a couple of people, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're in front of an audience, even Jay Leno and Jerry Seinfeld, who are, you know, more, they have kind of a Jay Leno definitely like you can, you know, you can imitate it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have a bit of a character, and the way that I look at sort of stand up or crafting your your stage point of view or your persona is that you take an aspect of your personality and accentuate it so it's yeah go ahead you are exactly right but i happen to have like five personalities (laughs) so and most people do yeah but but you're able to tap into all of them and 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 create this bouquet that's just quite lifelike (laughs) and fun thank you and i think gay audiences love things that are very theatrical because gay people are very entertaining Yes, I am very theatrical, so they like that. Yeah, so... Go ahead, sweetie. I I know that we have limited time with you. I want to talk about something that I think is really funny because I think it does people a lot of good, which is the video you made calling Kicking Cancer's Ass, which is on YouTube. And talk about what drove you to make that video. Well, uh, you know, it's not hard enough that we're all going through the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. But last year... Um, uh, around February, I was feeling, uh, well, I mean, before that too, but I have, a, I am one tough cream puff. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I, in other words, I could get a pain and I go, oh, that'll go away. That'll go away. Plus we were in the pandemic. Anyway, though, it did get, it did get worse. And I said, we've got to go to the doctor. My doctors, thank God, are one of the best at UCLA. So I want to give kudos to my doctors. And I went in and at first they said, uh, uh, Judy, you have a kidney stone. And they were correct. However, then they called me back and said, and we see more. So you're going to need to see the oncologist. So as soon as I heard that word, oh, no. 
okay, but then I still stayed positive. And yeah, and then they he told me, uh, you have ovarian cancer and uh, we're going to treat you right away. You're going to get, you're going to right away. We're going to start with chemo and you're going to get two bouts of a few bouts of chemo. And then we're going to have to do an operation. And then uh, it, that, that started in April. I did those. And then I got the operation June 29th. And then I had one more bout of chemo uh, starting, I want to say in August. And my, I was finished by, September 16th and I'm still standing as they go. That's right. And, and, and God, so this is very recent. Oh yeah. 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 I I think in order for the, I I think it was going on and I just didn't, you don't, a lot of times you don't, you don't, what do I say about, but, but they say this oftentimes with women, uh, you, you don't get all the signs right away, you know? So, um, but I could, I would start getting like last, I want to say January, I would get these pains going up and down my side. I go, this is not normal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went and thank God for my thank you. Thank you. My doctors, all the people who write me beautiful messages of encouragement and their prayers. Whether you're people, if you send me a song to me, it's like a prayer. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, anybody who has suffered cancer themselves or had a, a family member, it's really empowering to watch this video because it's funny and it's it's moving, really. And I just wanted to say to you that the guy playing cancer in your video <laughs> looks like Joe Rogan to me. <laughs> he looks exact. I mean, he's all over steroided, and he just looks. He looks. He looks like oh, yeah, right. Joe, yeah, right. Joe Rogan on a bad day. Oh my God, that's funny! I never don't tell him I said that. Well, spoiler alert: he gets his ass kicked. I know that's the fun part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah. You look great, and I'm so glad that so far things are going well, and I hope oh, it stays that way for you. So, much. so I, how many weddings have you officiated? Because on your website it says, if I want to get married, I can. That you are certifiable. I mean, certified. I am certifiable, but also. Okay. and so what happens how do we how do you officiate and what's what's required actually uh the most recent one was maybe uh just before i found out i was you know what i uh, had cancer Mm -hmm. so i formed a wedding for these two wonderful gay guys uh, uh and they contacted me actually via email and and i said oh yes of course i will do it and we did it on zoom because as you know we were in the pandemic already so we're we're on zoom and it was a beautiful thing their family came on and said things and i said jokes about everybody and yeah it was great so was there any accordion involved oh of course sure yeah of course we yeah. need to hear an accordion what are the wedding song? song i would like to hear the the wedding song oh the wedding song sure well, Let's see. What did I do for for that? Um, or can they make requests? Oh yeah. Well, I would do things. I have so many. You know, I have Mountain Girl. I have. Uh, you know. By the way, these are all on YouTube, which I have like a hundred things on YouTube. There's it, a lot of great uh, performance footage of you on YouTube. Yeah, we'll put links in our show notes so everybody Thank can find you so them. So much because that's all free. Mm-hmm. I know if they want to go rent my movie it's on you know my movie desperation boulevard that's on uh amazon amazon prime streaming only two dollars 
$2.99 for two hours of hysterical entertainment. And the beautiful thing about that movie is you've got, honest to God, you've got uh, cameos in there from three quarters of show business. Yeah. Emo does a cameo in there, Burt Ward, Dana Plato, Aaron Moran, and your co-stars, Michael Lerner. This ain't, this ain't, this ain't corned beef He's like an established actor. It was great. He's an Academy Award nominee from Barton Fink, and he was fabulous. He was great as my manager. Manny. Yes. Manny tries. He tries. Tell me who Greg Glienna is. He wrote and directed this movie. Who's he? Greg also wrote It's a Guy Thing. He also came up with the original concept, which was bought from him for... Uh, Robert De Niro was the dad. It was a comedy. Oh, come on! What is meet the meet the Falkers? Meet the that's it. The Falkers. Uh, meet the, the parents. Par- yeah, parents. Yes. And uh, so he he said, Judy, I think we. I said I want to do a movie. I want to have my own film because I'm not exactly type castable. You can't look at me and go, oh, she's a housewife. She's a woman uh, on a pole. No, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, b- but uh, yeah, so I said, I, yeah, let's do the movie. And the movie is the, the movie is a, about a former child star who will stop at nothing to make a comeback. And I am assisted, of course, by my relentless manager played brilliantly by Michael Lerner. And then what I was so thrilled about, because as you know, many of these real child stars like Dana Plato, Aaron Moran and Ken Osmond are no longer with us, mm-hmm. but they were are in the movie with me. Yeah. Playing a card game like yep. all, uh, all, all child stars who are very protective of their careers. So, well, it's worth the price. It's worth the two dollars and ninety nine cents on uh, Amazon to see you in a mall parking lot suspended from a crane well, with I, angel wings. How long were you suspended from a crane? Oh my God, we had to have breaks. I it was <laughs> it was tough, but it was worth it. Um, yeah, isn't that something that scene? And then yeah. different people climb up a ladder just to say hi to me. Yeah. And, and one of them is Emo Phillips. Yep. And, and one of them is uh, also a big drag queen from here known as uh, Mama Mama Worthy. And uh, but as I say, I was very fortunate to have Weird Al, who is a wonderful person, as well as a genius, you know, yeah. uh, a genius. Um, and and uh, yeah, so. It, yeah, it turned out I, I'm very happy about it. So if people get a chance to see that. But as I say, if you don't have any money, just go to YouTube and subscribe. That's Absolutely. Right. That's such good advice. Bust yeah. out one song for us before okay. we leave. <laughs> oh, oh, what am I doing? I want to do the Pope song. <laughs> I just want a cowboy to ride me home. I just want a cowboy who's rich and lives in Rome. I just want a cowboy with gold-plated soap. Yeah, I just want a cowboy named John Paul the Pope. (laughs) He'd be my main man. I'd be his blue nun. He'd teach me how to kiss the ground. I'd teach him how to duck from a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just want a cowboy 
to whom I can confess. Yeah, I just want a cowboy in a long white silky dress. <laughs> wow, I wonder well, if he has ever heard that song and knows oh yeah, it's from my first album, uh, uh, which is by this pigs. <laughs> and yes, so um, well, yeah, I'll tell you. I just love you, Judy. I always have. I'm so glad I had this chance to talk to you. I remember when you came to town, you and Emo came to town at the same time. And I happen to think Emo, to me, is one of the most interesting stand-up comedians ever. Oh, He's so smart and metaphysical and interesting. I always loved him. Absolutely. Oh. And I'm happy that I had a chance to have a conversation with you. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it was just a joy speaking with you, and I just celebrate everything you've done for stand-up because you just keep bashing down walls and kind of like expanding the universe within which stand-ups can play, and uh, you're a hero. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. Do I have to cry now? Maybe. Maybe a little tissue well, would be handy. <laughs> oh, it was an honor and a pleasure to be with both of you, really. We love you. Continue good health to you, my darling. Good to Thank talk to you. you. And remember, yes, I love you, and I love everyone who wishes me well. And <laughs> remember, it could happen. We wish you so well. <laughs> All right. You're See joined. you later, darling. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank Bye. you. <clears throat> so I'm going to jump to the part of the show where I say something that Dina wrote for me. Everybody, please enjoy the following speech. Join our growing Facebook community. Our group is called Media Path with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. Find it under the Groups tab on our page, Media Path Podcast. The group offers exclusives, behind-the-scenes photos and info, early notifications and sneak peeks on upcoming episodes and other news. And we'll be running regular giveaways of a prize package that includes signed books and swag from our guests. You can also subscribe to our fun and dishy newsletter at mediapathpodcast.com to never miss an episode and receive other news and updates along with handy links and info on all of our recommendations. For example, you'll get links to all of Judy's YouTube videos and everything else, Judy, that you need to possess. Uh, and now... I, I, I am impressed with the enthusiasm of the members of our fan page. They're so they're, It's fun. like a QAnon fan page. These people are obsessed. It's so cool. Yeah, we keep- And they're ecstatic to be our friends. We keep dropping clues and they just search the internet for proof it's, that what we said was accurate. It's so much fun. Whenever you say HRC, they know we're talking about Hillary. They're smart. <laughs> our group is smart. Uh, so Fritz, what have you, so we were going to watch stuff this week and then recommend it to people. And usually we do that before the guest, but Judy has a very busy schedule. So now we're going to do it. And I want to know what you've been watching this week. Well, I just finished watching the last two installments of a four installment uh, production by CNN about Lyndon Baines Johnson. You have to say LBJ so the QAnons know who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. LBJ Triumph and Tragedy was the title of this. It ran over the weekend and culminated on President's Day, and it also is to honor Black History Month because the triumphs of the Johnson administration were his domestic legislation. He had the Great Society Program. He in, um, included the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and he miraculously got those bills passed with bipartisan support due to his uncanny skill at arm twisting. He was known as the master of the Senate. Now, the tragedies in the Triumph and Tragedy title were his miscalculations about 
Americans' involvement in the Vietnam War. He knew Vietnam was a debacle from the beginning, but he didn't want to be the one American president to lose a war. So he doubled down, intensifying our military involvement, and it turned out to be a disastrous and devastating mission, and it ended up defining his presidency, and he felt bad about it all the way till the day he died. Now, there are reasons why this series would resonate in today's environment, even if people aren't old like me and care about LBJ and past presidents. You'll watch it and say, this guy made some mistakes, but he got things done with bipartisan support. He really knew how to work the Congress. Another interesting factor is when Johnson began his political career in the House and the Senate, he was a, uh, he was a, a, a congressman first, then a senator. He voted as a racist. He never supported any civil rights legislations before his presidency. He even voted against an anti-lynching bill, which seems to me to be a slam dunk, something you would vote for. But he changed over his career and went on to become one of the most consequential presidents in American history, especially in civil rights. Why was that? Well, one reason was he was haunted by his past experience as a teacher in poverty-stricken elementary schools in Texas. And another was that he wanted to continue the mission that JFK started, but didn't have the political chops to get over the finish line, but Johnson knew how to get it done. There's a great quote from one person who was talking about Johnson's ability to get past bipartisan civil rights legislation, and the quote is, he was a white man from Texas, and if anybody could duel with segregationists, it was most likely Lyndon Johnson, because he was from the South, and so he had a modicum of trust amongst those people. Nothing like the deadlock Congress today. Now, if you're interested in Johnson and you're interested in reading books about LBJ, I recommend four volumes by the same historian, Robert Caro. He did four books about Johnson. The first one was The Path to Power, his start, his amazing energy, his urge for power. The second one was called A Means of Ascent from his defeat in the 1941 campaign for the Senate to building his own personal fortune. Then the third one was The Master of the Senate, how he followed in the paths of Daniel Webster and Henry Clay and John C. Calhoun in making the Senate the most powerful arm of the government. And the last one was The Passage of Power. It follows him from 58 to 64, the most triumphant parts of his career. So there's a lot to be learned about Johnson. I think one of, one of the more interesting aspects of, of Johnson's trajectory was he, he is a Southern Democrat. I don't, I don't know if he's technically a Dixiecrat or if anything, ever, anybody technically was, or that's just a term of art. But after he passed civil rights, the he lost the South. So all Democrats. And he knew he did. He said, I think I just handed the South to the Republicans. For, for, for decades or for generations. Yep. So he understood what was happening and he understood that the Republicans will capitalize that and and start launching sort of the Southern strategy to scoop up all of those racists. Uh, so he, he, he understood to a certain extent what the fallout would be. So he was prepared for that to happen. Yeah. And he said, I'm the president, I have the power, and what good is it if I don't use it? Right. And uh, I, I just, I, I think when, when you look at him in contrast to what, you know, President Biden, whose intentions are fantastic, but he's got a 50-50 Senate, he can't get anything done. So even with his fabulous intentions, and you know, the Build Back Better program and all these other environmental things could be as big as the Great Society with Johnson, could be a uh, something that could be compared to uh, the New Deal. But if you don't have the votes, you can 
waste your energy all but, day long talking about it. You know, it. I think Johnson's predictions has, have, have come true to an extent where the Senate is dysfunctional. So the Republicans have devolved to a, one issue, uh, which is what they can't say overtly out loud, which is we're racists. Mm-hmm. And, all, you know, so everyone in here is corrupt. And the only agenda is to appease people who are still racist in America. That's all that they voted for us to do. And it's just to me, it feels like they're flying off a cliff. Yeah. It's well, unsustainable. In the old days, they would deny that they were racist. Now they fully admit it and they've made a party out of it. But the, the Republicans embrace racism now. You know, how is that improving anybody's life? It's really no. just diminishing returns. I, I just think it's it's fatalistic. So but I have a hopeful, you know, attitude regarding those things. But they did a good job with this thing. I love the way they the the relationship between um Martin Luther King and the president, which was a little contentious at first, but they learned to trust one another and they mm-hmm. really had the same goal. Yeah. And it, Johnson was just smart enough to be able to read the tea leaves of all that stuff. Another good movie, if you're interested in that time period, is Selma, because they, they kind of depict the conversations. Yeah, that, that just ran the other night on TMC. Yes. Turn TCM, whatever it is. So in light of current events, I wanted to recommend two documentaries. One of them is a little more difficult to find, but my husband and I saw it at, at the Santa Barbara Film Festival, maybe back in 2015 or something. That was called Maydan. And there's one running on Netflix called Winter on Fire. And I think that people in America don't fully understand what the people in Ukraine are fighting for, what matters to them, what they are attempting to achieve, and how much is at stake and what's in their hearts. So both of these films, Winter on Fire and Maidan, are documentaries on the unrest in Ukraine during 2013 and 2014. A student peaceful demonstrations supporting European integration were met with violent pushback from corrupt Russian-backed leaders. The events erupted into a bloody revolution in which the people took to the streets of Kiev in what became known as the Revolution of Dignity, or Maidan. What followed was a massacre as armed troops murdered unarmed civilians. These films depict the grit, courage, and will of the Ukrainian people to live in a free, representative society. Their valiant efforts forced the resignation of Putin pal president Viktor Yanukovych, who, it turns out, lived in a lavish mansion featuring a golf course, parks, ponds, pavilions, statues, fountains, ostriches, and a replica Spanish galleon in a man-made lake. They actually let people come in. Like, you could go in. It's like people of Ukraine have seen how this guy was living. And, you know, the outright the outrage is pretty potent. Uh, it's important for Westerners to truly understand how determined Ukrainians are to resist the bully neighbor on their doorstep and to enjoy the freedoms that we so often take for granted. Wow, they sound like two great primers for today's news. Exactly, yeah. Unbelievable. Do you have, so, anything, do you have anything else to recommend? Because if you don't, I do. No, I want to. I want to hear. Are, are those both on Netflix, or you said one's one hard of to them? Find? One of them we saw at a film festival. I think you can get the DVD on Amazon, but I, I didn't see it streaming anywhere. I haven't watched Winter on Fire, but I would imagine it's it's maybe documenting different individuals, but telling the same arc of events. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very important for people in the West and any NATO country <laughs> citizens, especially Americans, you know, they look at the news and they, they don't really fully understand how badly Ukrainians want to be free. Yeah. And what they don't understand is something that the movie you recommended points out is this is not new to the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. It's been going on for eight years. Mm-hmm. There was awful bloodshed and has been at a low level right 
right through the last since the 14. But does it feel to you like Putin is trying to distract us once again from the crimes that Trump committed? Because we're on the verge of sort of busting those wide open. That, that was my thought at the beginning, the wag the dog philosophy. Okay. At, the, at the very beginning of this whole thing, I thought the timing of the walls closing in on Trump, both in New York and in Georgia and in the 1-6 committee and in the DOJ all seems to me to be really suspiciously timed with Putin like doing a misdirection deal over yeah. here to to get minds off of it because I think with uh, something we've always expected Trump's unholy alliance with Trump with uh, Putin that stuff's going to pop up when they when these documents are made public or when they come up before the one six committee or in the in the testimony they're going to do in public here in a couple of weeks I just think. Who knows what we're going to see in that? Who? And it just seems like the world's easiest connect the dots yeah. puzzle yeah. because, you know, you've got Tucker Carlson and whoever else, you know, one of the Graham kids or whatever. You know, so you've got a religious guy, whatever his name is, Franklin Graham. And then you've got Tucker Carlson all saying, hey, go Putin. Putin, you're doing awesome. You know, I don't get way that. to go sport. And, and they Tucker all work does for... Victor Orban, who's just as bad but more sly about it. What's what's that all about? They they all work for autocracy. They work for team autocracy and they're trying to overthrow the American way of life. But there was no organization more rapidly anti-Soviet than the Republicans. What, what What's causing this feeling now where they're pro Russian and anti-American. Well, you know how televangelists are, can easily dupe people? Mm -hmm. They've been easily duped by Putin because he came in post-Soviet and said, hey, you know, I've got my pet priest and my pet rabbi, and he, he marches them out. He, he fired everybody that was moderate in religion who was ready to come back and say, yes, I'd, I'd love to morally, uh, you know, and ideologically and guide my people. They had there was a reformed rabbi and reform you know like normal reverence. What are you talking about Putin? Yet oh. um, they were all kind of un way under the radar during you during during the Soviet Union because that was a godless state so there no religion was allowed. So all of the religious leaders that were respected and moderate and and very good at guiding their people they wanted to come back as soon as the Soviet Union was toppled. And then when Putin realized that, oh, no, I'm going to use religion. So he fired all of the, you know, the state rabbi and the state minister and the state priests that were moderate and normal people and brought in his more extreme versions of all of those religions. And then they went about sort of cultivating people in other countries who are very religious and saying, you guys like Jesus? We like Jesus. So... They went about making friends with a lot of right-wing evangelical people in the United States. And so people like Franklin Graham feel and like— And they were pro-Trump, and that was the, that, that was their—you know, it was all transactional. They it go was, hunting. The oligarchs come over, and they go hunting with them, and they talk about guns and God and, and all, all the things they have in common. So they're, they're value mirroring. It's all a big— puppet show mm -hmm. and meanwhile the other thing, I, I i would love to i would love to f discover that the um that putin's um design here was to deflect attention from trump and his relationship to trump and all that's going on here plus 
He also knows that it's not 100% a foregone conclusion that Trump won't be reelected. So he could be seeding the next election by doing something that deflects attention. But I also think because of where Putin is in his career, he's been in this job for 20 years, um, and people in the Soviet Union are getting hip to the fact that he now might easily be the richest man on the planet. He squirreled away all this money, as have the oligarchs. They're getting the the, the Russian population's getting hip to his mo, and it might be that he's deflecting attention from his own problems in his own country. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the documentary on Netflix called "The Family"? I believe it's called. Yes. Oh, so they, that's that's sort of a Christian cult that's into infiltrating all of the the power dynamics of the United States, be they political, business, you know, whatever it is. And so their motto is Jesus plus nothing. So what that means to me is like, as long as you say Jesus, it really doesn't matter what you do. So Trump said Jesus. He never went to church, but he said Jesus, and that's all they needed to hear. Mm -hmm. So Putin says Jesus. That's all they need to hear. They're trying to usher in the kingdom of heaven on earth. So their agenda is not in compliance or in alliance with American or with United States uh, national interests and and uh, security, it's it's completely out of alignment. For example, take global warming. For example, they don't care because they think that they're going to heaven very soon, or that heaven's coming down to earth very soon. Mm-hmm. So, this keeping the planet safe for our children and our grandchildren isn't. It isn't an issue. It isn't a pressing issue for them. Fortunately, there's another documentary out talking about the schism that's occurring in the evangelical movement mm-hmm. that says that Trump is not the um, not the gift from God that most of the evangelical people think it is. As a matter of fact, it's the antithesis of Christianity, ah. and so they're fighting their way back. So that, that I think that's a positive. Maybe side. they're saying this is how this is how it says. The devil was going to present himself. Yeah. Oh, listen. So be careful. It would be too easy. Well, I'm going to take a sharp left turn okay. into something a little a bit more fun. transition? Yes, okay. it's called Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> Season four has just premiered on Amazon Prime. If you haven't yet kind of like dipped your toe in the waters of Mrs. Maisel, it's a treat. And I think it's a treat for anyone, whether you're interested in comedy or the 50s or the 60s or whatever else. It's just an eye candy treat. So in 1958, New York, Midge Maisel's life is on track. Husband, kids, and elegant family dinners in their Upper West Side apartment. This is a young woman who wakes up an hour before her husband so that she can painstakingly glam herself and slip back into bed so that, God forbid, her husband never catches a glimpse of her actual face. It is the 50s. But one night, her husband Joel takes a shot at an open mic. He bombs and then blames her. Hmm, maybe the wrong person in this couple just tried stand-up. She is off and after it, and she is the only one in her family who thinks she has not lost her mind. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel is gorgeously produced, and it deliciously captures the setting and the time, placing you in Greenwich Village, in nightclubs, on sound stages, in the Catskills, and at Miami Beach. It's hilariously written and directed by Amy Sherman Palladino, who brought us one of my all-time favorite shows, The Gilmore Girls, which is streaming in its full entirety on Netflix. And uh, if you, we can talk about Mrs. Maisel if you've been watching it, Fritz, but I also wanted to add that if you're enchanted by Mrs. Maisel and wondering just how accurate the storytelling is in regards to women's expected roles in the 50s and in society and the dent they were making or not making in the world of stand-up comedy during this time frame, 
I would say that the comedian Mrs. Maisel is most closely based on would be Joan Rivers, who we talked about with Judy. She was a married and unhappy housewife when she first began doing stand-up as an attempt to launch an acting career. Joan wrote a lot of books, but my favorite is her first called Enter Talking, which brilliantly depicts her scrappy and persistent path towards her ultimately triumphant career. The book is just full of advice for young comics, too. One of my favorite takeaways from Joan's book is that each time you are on stage, work on just one thing. Assuming you know your act and that you are not struggling to find words, one thing could be a facial expression, a physical behavior, an impression of a voice in one of your stories, or one new joke. In other words, don't load yourself up with too much to remember. Being on stage is scary enough. Know your act and work on one new element at a time. Advice from Joan Rivers. Yeah, I uh, I wrote for Joan for a while. I mean, meaning I sold her jokes for $10 Same. a piece. Yeah. I always thought it was very ironic um, where she would pay you $10 for a joke and yep. then her accountant would send you a 15-page document to sign, which was probably uh, more expensive than the $10 you got for a joke. But the document for 15 pages, you had to sign that you would never sell this $10 joke to somebody else. It was so funny. Yeah, my friend Alex and I would write jokes for Joan, and we would like, we never cast our checks. We just liked that check yeah. from Joan Rivers. We were so excited. But about Mrs. Maisel's, I, yeah. I respect that show because it's very difficult to portray stand up comedy in anything close to reality. Every movie, the one called Punchline with Tom Hanks and Sally Fields, I love them to death. They gave it a good shot. They worked their material out down at the Comedy Imagine club there was nothing believable about either of them playing a stand-up no being a stand-up and and having the speaking fluently the language of a person who's comfortable on a stage is not something that an actor can do it takes ten thousand hours and you were saying that you do like it in shows like i'm dying up here when they use actual stand-ups because then you can see that i didn't like that show in general because i thought it was they portrayed the the comedy store as so dark and manipulative and it, it is uh, is it well i didn't yeah. have that experience so you're a man yeah okay well um that 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 could well be true but i i don't even mean just the politics in the room i mean the humor on stage the people that performed in that show were so dark and not everybody was dark freddie prince wasn't dark jay leno wasn't dark david letterman wasn't dark they were funny. And so I just didn't like the idea that, but of course, in order to get people to watch, you have to sort of put the imprimatur of the present and what's going to make people laugh. So I, they had to write differently. But Well, also, you know, every show has a temperament. It has a mood. It has a culture. They create sort of a world. And then if your show is good, you sort of stick to those beats and those rhythms. And so that's what, that's the story they wanted to tell. They wanted to make it a little bit sinister and so yeah. a great example of what i'm talking about is eric griffin an african-american comedian friend of mine very funny guy and they let him do his own act on yeah. stage and it always made me laugh you could tell that he had spoken these words before it wasn't a memorized script he is a polished performer yeah, there he is so right there. there's eric yeah <laughs> he just makes me laugh because i know his jokes so <laughs> i look at his face mm-hmm. and i'm thinking of of, mm-hmm. of his jokes so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's almost impossible. The woman who plays Mrs. Maisel, I should probably know her name. She, Rachel Brosnahan, Rachel Brosnahan mm-hmm. she does, I I don't know if she it's did any stage time to get herself uh, acclimated, but I, I feel like the only thing that's unrealistic is that somebody would be that good at riffing after two years. People can barely do 10 tight minutes after two years. And she's supposed to be like opening for like the Johnny Mathis guy. 
when she and and she's going to go off book and just come out with these like amazingly brilliant observations. I don't know that that even happens after twenty good years. Actress. She's a good actress, right? But, but like the, the show looks like a movie. Every every yeah. episode looks like a film. It's so beautifully shot, and I I, I agree with you. It really is. It's very cinematic and it's just fun. And the details are all in place. And if you were raised in that time period or if your grandparents were raised in that time period, it really places you there. So I highly recommend Mrs. Maisel. And there's a lot of wonderful books about stand-up. If you're interested in the history of stand-up, we had Wayne Fetterman on. I recommend that episode. That's like the Bible of stand-up. Now, his book, The History of Stand-Up Comedy, from so and so to um, such and such, such, and such. Yeah. Dave Chappelle. Uh-huh. It, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. So I don't know. I think we're out of things to recommend, but I think we can we can wrap it up right about now, Fritz. If, Sounds good. Usually we still have a guest with us, and we're saying goodbye to our guests, but we can pretend. Oh, right there, there it is. History of Stand Up. Wayne Fetterman. Yeah. Have you noticed that Thomas is like on fire with Thomas these is just links? Lit. He's just he's he's so good. He glows from he's within. A, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. So. uh this has been a great episode. Remember earlier when Judy Tenuta was here? That mm-hmm. was fun. So I'm going to, do, do you want to tell people to review our show or ask them kindly to do so? I would like to ask them sort of informally to please review our show because we're trying to spread the word. Now, we're very happy to tell you that our show is exploding in the country of Norway right now. Huge. We've got a we've got a we've got a spike in viewership in norway and we're sort of like the german government in the 30s we're conquering the northern european countries because they're easier and we're going to work our way down and then have everybody at the end but if you review our show it helps to spread the word and join our fan book uh, our our facebook Facebook fan page page. especially if you're from from norway uh we're especially interested in hearing from king harold because we saw you when you were a little boy on, on the PBS show about the Queen of Norway who escapes uh, the Nazis by becoming best friends with FDR. And Harold is a little boy. And I immediately Googled him. He's now the King of Norway. No, but it's interesting. We know that you're interested in the books we talk about. And, and, and our fan page is a great way for you to express specifics that you like, like a particular book that we recommended that you read and we'd like to hear your opinion about it. Because we're there. We'll, we look on every day and we'd love to start a dialogue with you about that. And if you review the show, it would trick other people into loving our show as well. Do you think if we were able to book King Harold? That that would that would be a smash. It'd be like the Charlie Rose show. Yeah. In, uh, well, no, that was a poor choice of words. So, Dina, can you reach out to King Harold of Norway? I'm on it. Okay. Right that'd, be, that'd be excellent booking. I imagine that he. All right. You know, he spent part of his childhood in America. He speaks English, right? Mm-hmm. Probably everyone in Norway speaks English. Come on. Norwegian people are brilliant. All right, here come our closing credits. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, or we are at MediapathPod, and on Facebook, where our show is MediapathPodcast, and our Facebook group is MediaPath with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediaPathPodcast. We would love to know what media you have been enjoying. You can contact us at our social media or email us at MediaPathPodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our wonderful and beautiful guest, Judy Tenuta. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco Demanda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filippiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palenker. Happy birthday to my husband, Ron. 2-22-22 is his birthday. I'm Louise Planker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path. <laughs>